Trying to be the flyest kid on the block The popular one with the rise and stop So that's when I had this bright idea Throw the party of the month Now the party of the year in between 1999 and 2000, at the turn of the millennium, everyone else was concerned about Y2K and burying their time capsules. But I, for one, was concerned about being an attendee, a mere bystander at two very important pop cultural parties. One I'll reveal at the end of this podcast, but the other is none other than what you just heard, which is Aaron's party. Parentheses, come get it. A song beautifully sung by one Aaron Carter younger brother of Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys when we still thought Nick Carter was hot and not gross and his little brother was even cuter. And this was before he sung I Want Candy on Lizzie McGuire. This was, as far as I was concerned, his debut. And this single is such a, speaking of time capsules, a perfect encapsulation of a bubblegum pop period in, in our history that just makes me want to stand in a corner drinking some sort of vague green slush punch that is a weird mixture, I think, of like 7-Up and ice cream that seemed to have somewhat of an omnipresence at school functions, specifically school dances. This song just, you know, makes me want to party, makes me want to grab my slush punch, stand in a corner, and watch my friends dance like any other great party. And with that, I'd like to welcome you back to the Be There in Five podcast, a podcast dedicated to people like me who prefer to watch other people dance while enjoying the food and beverages a party has to offer. As a youth, maybe it was punch. As an adult, it is an entire solo cup of wine that is very dangerous because in your head it's a glass. But then after two, you're like, well, the bottle's gone. This is a podcast dedicated to the people like me who feel like they need to caveat that they are in fact a fun gal, even though they're never first on the floor. But we don't need to be because you know who is? Aaron Carter. And he's not throwing the party of the month, no. It's the party of the year. That's me. Busting at the moves like it's MTV. I guess somewhere along I lost my head. Then I jumped on the table. This is what I said. People all around, you got to. Everyone together, sing it loud. Jump all around, come on. One of my favorite things about the word party, about party as a verb, is that I would argue people that use the word party or say, hey, want a party? are probably the people that do not actually party. You know what I mean? And the perfect example of a person who is not actually partying is Aaron Carter in this song whose parents have left him home alone for the night and he throws a strange semi-rager for a bunch of preteens that are just wholesomely dancing in a giant mob and enjoying the sheer freedom of no parents being around. They're breaking lamps and a kid spilled juice on his mom's new cushion but, like, I, would it matter if the parents were there? I, for one, thought every, you know, suburban friend group and neighborhood had at least one member who had a finished basement with harsh fluorescent lighting and Berber carpets and a large sectional sofa who had parents that literally never came downstairs, like I probably never met, and would have no idea that truly 25 people were downstairs doing Lord knows what in their basement in middle school. But we didn't really do anything. Honestly, the only thing I remember doing in middle school with boys was like playing capture the flag, like after school stuff, or like ghost in the graveyard. But actually ghost in the graveyard, I wouldn't consider wholesome because people, it was a nighttime game and people would just hide out in the bushes and like make out with their boyfriends. But I, for one, did not have a boyfriend. I, I, Let's just put it this way. I was like 5'8 when I was 12, and I had 
uh, two orthodontic expanders and a gap between my teeth about the size of a pencil eraser. So, you know, let's just say uh, no one was was in the bush with me. But now that I'm thinking about it, Ghosts in the Graveyard probably would have been my best case scenario, given the darkness would have worked in my favor. But what are you going to do? Am I doing a good job selling myself like a fun gal yet? <laughs> anyway, I have no way of knowing if other people's preteen years were at all similar. But I mine were very, very sensory. While I maybe never remember what I was doing or what I was wearing, I always remember the music that was playing, and I always remember the food that I was eating. For example, the first boy-girl party I ever went to in sixth grade, my hopes were so high. I... <laughs> My hopes could go into the hands down by dashboard, which would later become a quote on my buddy info, which when you think about, uh, what, a freshman in high school saying, my hopes are so high that your kiss might kill me, so won't you kill me, and I'd die happy. It's like, pump the brakes. Didn't say how do you have volleyball practice. You're, you're going to be okay. Anyway, at my first boy-girl party all the boys and girls were slow dancing and this was an era of slow dance songs that were so deeply romantic and an age where I was so deeply unaware of how unrealistic they were so to me God must have spent a little more time on you was a normal thing that somebody that you've been dating a week should probably say to you and God must have spent a little more time on you came on I stood there I was hoping someone would ask me to dance they didn't and it's okay I I don't I'm not say this to make you feel bad me. I say this in terms of this is this is a necessary um, self-actualizing evolution and process for an extroverted introvert. I am friendly but usually need to be talked to first. I'll dance but need to be prompted. But at that moment I was pretty disappointed. And you know what? It was okay. Because what I remember far more than that fleeting disappointing moment was the long-term satisfaction that came afterward when my dad took me to the local food court and I got to go to the Arby's. I got to sit there and have the most gorgeous large order of curly fries. I saved the perfectly symmetrical Shirley Temple tendrils for last so I could awe at their splendor. I would eat the half moon shaped overly crisp skin covered pieces first. I was also having a concrete which is a milkshake that's so hard like so thick they call it a concrete. I don't know if that's normal everywhere and I remember sitting there after this disappointment and thinking you know what life is good. So long as I can have fries and a milkshake, as both a sweet and salty snack at once that is filling and satisfying and something I will look forward to and that will lull me into sleep tonight so I forget about said disappointment, I'm going to be okay. And you know what? I have absolutely no reason why I told that story or what I was getting at. But, you know, I guess the bottom line is I love Arby's. <laughs> long before long before R. Kelly, Ignition was ever on the scene. My life motto was... After the show, it's the after party. And after the party, it's the local Arby's. So, suck it, Aaron's party. Suck it, boy-girl party where no one asked me to dance. You know who knows how to party? This girl. Kate's party. Parentheses. Don't come get it. Okay, anyways, I'm sure, as much as I'm sure everyone is enjoying hearing about the life and times of my upbringing in Short Pump, Virginia... There's other pressing things going on. For example, Carrie Underwood, which I should mention that during the life and times of In Short Pump, Virginia, the first concert my parents ever got me tickets for was the American Idol Season 2 World Tour. 
in which I had passed over season one because I thought nobody was going to make it. You know, nobody really did besides, you know, just the voice of my generation, Kelly Clarkson, who sung Since You've Been Gone, Behind These Hazel Lies. My life would suck without you. Anthems that only got me through literally every trial and tribulation of my collegiate life. But anyway, I then also in high school skipped over season four American Idol World Tour because I wasn't overly interested in the talent of which was one Carrie Underwood. And, you know, looking back, I really shouldn't have doubled down on the Clay Aiken and Ruben Studdard season. Isn't it so weird how the, the predictors, the rankings of American Idol don't really correlate with their success level? I mean, look at Jennifer Hudson, another act I skipped over when I didn't go to the season three concert. She came in seventh place. America voted that Jennifer Hudson was five notches worse than Diana DeGarmo which was my first lesson in not everybody behaves the way you do. Not everybody likes the things you like. One of these things for me that I know this is not popular and I don't have anything against it. I I do not love country music. It makes me a little sad. Some things are a little redundant and I feel like to be listening to it, I need to be like day drinking at a tailgate or rafting down the river or driving with my windows down. I can't like sit in my frigid apartment in the middle, like the dead of winter in Chicago and listen to mud on the tires. It just, it's it's not my vibe. I used to be into it in high school when I did drive around a lot with my windows down. And I was a a lot more optimistic about life and the notion that at one point somebody could take me on a romantic date under the stars in a truck bed, which now, to me, would read as, you know, I'm being abducted, but at the time I found it deeply romantic because country music plants ideas in your head of things that I don't think actually happen in life. I, I do have exceptions. I shouldn't say I don't like country music. I used to listen to it a lot. I love anything that's 90s country, what I would consider like bordering on classic at this point. Any, you know, Garth Brooks, early Tim McGraw, uh, John Michael Montgomery. I love Alabama. I loved uh, Dixie Chicks, uh, Wide Open Spaces specifically. I I really liked uh, even Rascal Flatts' pre-life is a highway. I mean, freaking Shania Twain. I'm considering going to her concert alone. They, look at look, Google Shania Twain biggest hits, and there's like 16 songs. You're like, oh my God, I love all these, regardless of your taste in music. And I would say the hands down most pivotal figure in my country music life would be that of Dina Carter of Strawberry Wine fame, because I think every girl that heard that song sang it from the top of their lungs. Little did they know they were singing about drinking wine underage and losing your virginity on the banks of a river on a well-beaten path. And it's funny how those memories, they last, like right now when I can still recite the words, and I still love that song. And I also love her song, Danced Anyway. Okay, so maybe I just am not into current country music. Couldn't tell you who Casey Musgraves or Chris Stapleton or whatever, whatever they sing. Message me and change my mind and and tell me the best of if I should get into it. Otherwise, I don't have any more capacity because there's so many things going on. For example, as I was going to talk about five minutes ago in the American Idol tangent, Miss Carrie Underwood. Uh, if uh, you guys know how much this bothers me and what bothers me more than the fact that she is hiding her face deliberately after giving us the freaking cliffhanger of the century and saying, Hey, I fell and broke my wrist, but surprise, I also jacked up my face. And the next time you see me, my face will look totally different. But then there's a below deck cast member that posts a picture from her in December looking normal 
albeit her mouth is closed, but that is the blogger celeb smile, just closed mouth smirk smize. So it, I would have never thought twice about it. Th this is the only photo from her being seen out in public since the accident, but we didn't know about her face being jacked up until after that photo was posted. So basically, Carrie Underwood in November says, hey, I fell and hurt my wrist. And then in January says, hey, remember when I hurt my wrist? I also hurt my face. Uh, so I'll look different next time you see me. But there's also more to the story that I'm not ready to talk about yet. Meanwhile, the internet realizes that a month prior to that statement, she was seen looking totally normal. So it's kind of like, okay, did your face actually get hurt during that wrist accident? Why did you tell us two months later? If it's so bad that you're going to look different, why do we see a photo of you in December looking normal? So that begs the question, was there two separate incidences and the face one came later? Or did she do something to her face and she's using the wrist incident as a way to cover it? Or is she really going through something traumatic and there is another story to it that is horrible and I'm going to feel like a bad person for speculating? I'm going to go with the latter. However, I disagree with all the people leaving comments on her Instagram saying, Give her her privacy. She's entitled to her privacy. I'm sorry, but you can't, again, you cannot give us that sort of cliffhanger and then just back off and then start posting photos of you lifting weights with your head turned or some philanthropic photo with a giant X over your mouth. Because now we officially know, okay, her eyes look normal. Her nose looks normal. The tops of her cheeks look normal. So I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to think. I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping she's okay. Her marriage is okay. Um... The one tricky part here is there was a blind item on November 13th, 2017, the, which was the day after she fell, maybe, stating that she got drunk and found out her husband was cheating and her injury was the result of her confrontation, perhaps, you know, proverbially digging her keys into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. And if he really did cheat, I hope she took a Louisville slugger to more than just his headlights. For those of you that don't know, a blind item, they're on websites like crazydaysandnights.net, blindgossip.net. They're basically sources and tips from people that would never be considered legitimate sources by the mainstream media. And because of this, they're posted blindly. So they'll just say like this A-list singer and this B-list hockey player, or, you know, and they'll use like puns from their body of work. So I've mentioned on Instagram my concern about Jenna Dewan Tatum and Channing Tatum. Um, and in his, they'll say, like, this magical actor, you know, i.e. Magic Mike, or his wife's not stepping up to the plate. Step up, obviously, the movie where they met and starred in together. But the reason I have some belief in these sites, while a lot of it's garbage, is because they predicted Chris Pratt and Anna Faris's split, among a million other things. So I always like to look. I always like to speculate. When they don't say the names, you just read through the comments, and then usually there's a consensus about who the item is about. So needless to say, I don't want to spread rumors. This is part of the existing speculation that I do not think she is making any better by posting, you know, two-thirds of her face, looking happy with her family all the time, which is, it's an, that's an interesting point, too. Because I would argue that the more you post, well, okay, for normal people, non-famous people, the more you post, the more you have something to prove. And I say this in terms of not general posting, but gushing relationship posts. I don't mean birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, special occasions, life milestones. I mean, it's Tuesday afternoon. Why are you telling me that your husband makes you a better woman?
I mean, it's kind of like, well, tell him directly. I get if you want to acknowledge somebody as a special, you know, life occasion that warrants public announcement. But I think that there is a line you cross where it is concerning. And it's like, are you convincing me or convincing yourself? And I say this not to be a cynic or that like I'm better than anybody, but we all have those moments where you're like, damn, that is a brand of love. I will never know. Will, will anybody ever love anybody as much as uh, Kim Zolciak Bierman loves Croy Bierman? I mean, they just seem like everyone is in love. And then there's the Biermans. They are so attached to the hip and talk so highly of each other and compliment each other so nonstop, it's bordering on suspicious, which, you know, maybe it's a unique blend of two people that already really exercise words of affirmation as their language of love. But I'd venture to guess there's something going on under the hood. So yeah, I think that with celebrities, it's totally fair game to question their relationship status because you have to pick a lane. You're a gusher or you're not. And Channing and Jenna used to talk about each other all the time. And then this past year, they have like a handful of times very far apart. They aren't ever seen together. They're always doing just very formal red carpets together. Otherwise, she is photographed alone. There's several blind items that point out that when he is promoting something separately or filming somewhere or like rumors start about him that immediately photos go up of her just like walking somewhere doing something going to yoga class dancing and it's just a weird correlation and he was on the ellen show without his ring maybe he didn't have a ring i don't know so my speculation is perhaps baseless but you know i feel torn about this too because i'm talking about them aren't i (laughs) just like gary underwood i am always just trying to figure out why I'm talking about somebody and if I really have information that's that interesting or I'm doing exactly what they want me to. It's very tricky. Another great example, Jay-Z and Beyonce on the run tour. Wasn't selling that great. There, That summer, there were so many rumors about them splitting up. It almost created a sense of urgency. Like, if I don't see them perform together now, will I ever? And then that kind of, you know, tapered off. And I'd argue even when Lemonade came out and she so openly was telling everybody about his affair, Even then, the tabloid rumors weren't even as bad for some reason as the On the Run tour, in my opinion. Maybe because she was just being transparent about it. But, you know, Jay-Z could not keep his paws off of Rachel Ray. He and Rachel Ray were hot and heavy. And you know what? To go from hovering over the stove to hove is truly a magical transition that only such a a, a sassy little minx like Rachel, Rachel Ray could accomplish. I mean, that... People harassing Rachel Ray on Twitter thinking she is Rachel Roy will hold as one of my all-time favorite internet blunders, if you will. My all-time favorite general internet moment was, I think it was when Kim released the Taylor Swift tapes on Snapchat. And speaking of Taylor Swift, another great example of a friendship that should have picked a lane is Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss. And now we all know I have other theories about that, but specifically what I mean is... They were posting constantly together their big sur road trips. They were baking. They were FaceTiming for each other's birthdays. They they would gush on several occasions a year. And then to suddenly go to nothing, which strategically happened. You can't see me, but I'm doing the whisper thing. After Kissgate in December of 2015, when there was a very blurry video of them debatably kissing at a 1975 concert. That for another day. But now everyone is just like, oh, my God, they're not friends anymore. But the volume isn't the same. So is the volume correlated with the quality of their friendship? Or 
are they doing this because they want us to talk about it? And Carly is doing all this coding stuff and philanthropic work, and she's trying to pass herself off as a supermodel that is also a nerd. And I would say a general life rule is that you are not a nerd if you say you are a nerd, because true nerds think what they like is so fundamentally interesting to a delusional level that they don't call themselves nerdy. They just think you're weird for not, you know, uh, playing Magic the Gathering. I mean, trust me, nobody wants to believe the Channing Tatum rumors less than me, especially because my, my Facebook feed is littered with these videos of people like Channing, uh, celebrity guys that are dads that are gushing about their kids, their wife, their mom, etc. And it's like hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes, you know, hashtag husband goals. And it's like Ryan Reynolds talking about his daughter or Blake or uh, Ryan Gosling talking about Ava Mendez and his daughter Esmeralda or something. And actually, while I'm here, if you ever need convincing that celebrities call the paparazzi on themselves, look at people like Ryan Gosling and Ava Mendez, who A, I think has the same face as Ashley Graham, and B, who as a family, they are very rarely photographed. They are so private. Nobody even knew she was pregnant till like she was eight months in. They don't stay in their house all day. They do see the light of day. I'm sure they love to stroll an occasional farmer's market, but they aren't telling people where they are. And I think that's an example of people that are choosing to be actors and not celebrities. There is a difference. Actors and artists and people that want to be known specifically for their craft alone you're, think about Meryl Streep, think about Susan Sarandon, think about the joy that is Diane Keaton. I love her, but she, you don't see her out getting a green juice on the headlines of Daily Mail. What was I talking about? Oh, the videos of the guys on Facebook. These videos both delight and frustrate me. They make me melt, but it also, I think it is so funny. Like if I were a guy, all I would do is walk around in in attempt in the most humble way possible to talk about how awesome my wife or my mom or my girlfriend or my daughter is because people are so unusually charmed by men talking about women in a favorable manner which is so weird that that's kind of the exception and not the rule i hope that's all changing for john krasinski to be talking about you know how he taken he was with emily blunt when he first met her to have like, you know, 10 million views is um, so funny because it's just kind of like a normal story. But we're like, oh my God, he, he actually likes her. That, that is so great. Because <laughs> I think so often the, the more, the easier, the more comedic narrative of having an old ball and chain, uh, you know, all oh, the wife's at home, like that sort of like, I hate that. I just think it's so easy to be a nice guy. I, I If I were a guy, I would just talk about my mom and my wife and my kids and just talk about like everybody so positively and people would just like melt around me. It's it's so easy to come across as charming in that way where I think it's a little bit harder as a woman if you talk about how great your husband is, it seems like you're bragging. But would you ever hear a man talk about his wife favorably and be like, ugh, we get it. You have a wife, you respect her, she's great. You appreciate what she does and who she is. Like, shut up. Or even like I catch, I mean, this is another level of annoying, but Sheena Shea on Vanderpump Rules right now is so pathetically obsessed with her boyfriend, Rob, and it's so transparent and it's really hard to watch because she's just like, he fixes the boat. He fixes everything. He mounted my TV. Like, he's such a man. He's so much better than my ex. I'm going to marry him. Our kids are going to be named 
Madison Marie Parks Valletta. And like they've been dating like four months, but she says they've been dating 11 years except for the six years when she was married, which does not 11 years make, but that's a whole nother thing. It's like she just she gets so under my skin but I try to think oh if Tom Schwartz was talking about Katie like that like oh she you know fixes everything she supports me she does x y and z I'd be like oh my god stop (laughs) it's just crazy it kind of makes me think of um in the first mini Kaling book uh what why is everybody hanging out without me story of my life um and (laughs) she talks about how easy it is to be a guy like how just to impress people to think you they are you were just like so put together and sharp you just have to do the most basic things with minimal effort that a lot of people don't even do and this is also a big theme of queer eye which is the show the netflix revival that i'm obsessed with right now it's so heartwarming the fab five the new one was cast absolutely brilliantly i i am running out of time i can't get into it you're you're just going to find yourself laughing and crying along people along with people that they are making over that you would think you could never relate to in any normal terms. Especially the the men from the South that are so set in their ways. They are just like hairy and unkempt and unhappy and sit in their cluttered homes and never go out and never date and have weirdly and sadly accepted that this is what their life is supposed to be. And it's amazing to watch in a week's time, watch their lives be completely overhauled in a sense that it shows you oh, the fiction we write in our heads. It shows you that we nothing is ever fixed. We can change things so quickly if you can just get out of your own way. These guys were just absolutely transformed by these five magical men that came into their life and taught them how to be confident, how to take care of themselves, how to take care of their space, how to take care of their body, and just overall affect their attitude in a way that they present themselves in terms of who they want to be, not who they currently are. And it is moving. And it's got all the feel-good goosebumps crying that like an extreme makeover home edition has, but without the crippling fear that they will foreclose on or not be able to afford the taxes on the very, very expensive mansion that they just got for free. That used to stress me out. Where was I? Okay, yeah, so Mindy Kaling said about how guys have to do almost nothing to be considered great. I think Mindy said the two things that'll like blow people's minds are like get a peacoat and use some keels, <laughs> you know. Nice aftershave, minimize bumps, wash your face, have put on some lotion, maybe part your hair, use a pomade, I don't know. It's like so true though, to have a coat that's not, you know, like a ski jacket um, and to not just wear standard polo and khakis, oversized, Ill, ill-fitting clothes. I, I, I think a tailored arm and a pant leg on a man on a suit I mean, we've all seen Crazy Stupid Love, All Roads Lead to Ryan Gosling. Tailoring does wonders. But even that I don't think is necessary. That's just a a plus. I think that added to that list of peacoat kills a hair part, potentially a tailored appendage, is just talk nicely about women and people will lose their minds. You should mean it and be sincere. But like on a first date... I think that's such a great strategy. Ask a ton of questions about the other person. Just make the other person feel interesting. That, more so than telling me about your job or money or your friends or whatever, if I if you ask questions and seem interested in another person and not full of yourself, and if I have a proxy for how you treat another important woman in your life, that tells me a lot of what I need to know about you. 
you know, in addition to the basic chemistry and compatibility aspects. I should caveat, I do have a little bit of trouble with the basic conversation starters. Like, I'm a fair weather question answerer. Because the questions about your favorite XYZ that put you on the spot, nothing makes me panic more than when somebody was trying to get to know me and says like, so what type of music are you into? Like, are you kidding me? That is a question a music snob asks to gauge if you have horrible taste or not. And spoiler alert, I do. And I am okay with it. And I don't care about all of your lesser known underground bands that you're going to get so pissed about when they go mainstream. So my advice in this scenario is just to always answer with a joke that a person who's into music would understand. Because if you say like, oh, just like loving Demi Lovato right now, that could debatably be true. But if you were like, oh, you know, my just like my favorites are the classics. Your Hinder, your your Nickelbacks, your uh, puddle of mud, two D's stained, no E. Uh, I feel like when you kind of explain a certain genre and a tone of jest, it helps to deflect and also show the person that you know a thing or two about music and that you too can make fun of other people's taste by joking about something you don't like. So my point is, not that if you listen to Stains with no E, that's totally fine. It's just that is the opposite of the music I like. So therefore, that would be my response as somewhat of a joke. Which reminds me, Ashley I from the Bachelor franchise, she's been on like every show that they have. I've always thought that above everything, above her being a virgin, above her being a little high maintenance or being obsessed with the Kardashian Uh, maybe a little obsessed with Disney princesses and her expectations are a little high. All of those issues aside, I thought the one outstanding problem she had is that she openly, publicly talks about how she's been to over 100 Jonas Brothers concerts. (laughs) Like, go to one or two, that's great. Every time they're in in your town, fine. Can't be more than once a year. They don't even tour anymore. To just come out and say, I have been to over 100 Jonas Brothers concerts, to me, is alarming information. I I don't know. When you just calculate the, the, the total price of that, I mean, 100 bucks a pop, you've spent 10 grand in your lifetime on Jonas Brothers tickets and you're not even 30? Does that count DNCE? Does that count the Nick Jonas and Demi Lovato tour? Does it have to be all the Jonas Brothers or just one? What's Kevin doing? Is Danny just keeping him on lockdown in his house? Is she still using paper napkins? Do you remember that show Married to Jonas? I thought it was really good. That the Jonas mom was so mean to Danny and she was she was sweet and she just like they got married really young and she is really attached to her family and I just always thought it was funny that Kevin was like, I'm going on a world tour. You wanna come to some awesome place on a jet? And she was like, Oh, but it's my, you know, mom or sister's birthday, and I don't like to leave Long Island. And I met you at the Bahamas Atlantis, which I probably went to after seeing the hit Mary-Kate and Ashley film Holiday in the Sun that I cannot believe Weezer allowed them to use their likeness for. After meeting Kevin Jonas at the Atlantis, Danielle then dates him and marries him. And he builds her a castle that she lives in and refuses to leave. And she's just generally very, very high strung, even though a nice Italian girl. And I'm just like, Danny, you have such an interesting opportunity 
to see the world and travel around and go on tour and enjoy the gifts that your spouse is sharing with the world. And I don't know, it, she that just kind of bothered me. There's, I get when people are close to their family, more power to you to stick near home, to live near home, whatever, but don't, don't let any guilt that consumes you by missing somebody else's important life event sap you from having your own important life experiences and your own life events. I would argue anybody that really loves you and cares about you, the thing that would make them happiest is for you to be happy and to lead a fulfilling life. And if doing something for them is leading to your dissatisfaction or bitterness or resentment, it is in their best interest that you go off and do your own thing. And if you can't have that type of mature discussion, that's a whole different story. And maybe the relationship between the two of you needs to be reevaluated because the only thing that's going to do is ultimately make you resent the people that are clipping your wings. So I think there's a balance to strike, Danny Jonas. You can be near your family and be close and attend all of the major events, but it is also perfectly okay to take some time for you and your husband and to go with him to Tokyo, which somehow sells out of the Jonas Brothers tour. Unlike uh, the <laughs> what I perceived to be a very fake fan meet and greet of Delilah Bell and Amelia Gray, Rinna Hamlin. Just kidding, their last name's Hamlin. Lisa Rinna's children that want to be Gigi and Bella. When they went to Tokyo, they made it seem like on Real Housewives they were like signing autographs and had so many fans. But I would argue that if Japanese youths are tuned into American culture to the point where they would be aware of <laughs> Delilah Bell and Amelia Gray, that they would not be worried about them. They would be freaking out about Erica Jane. I rest my case. Okay, I'm cutting myself off. These are slowly creeping longer and longer, and I'm having a great time, and I hope you are too. Please, please, please leave a review. All you have to do is tap the five stars. You, that's, that's a rating, which is different from a review, which is a text review. I love both. And more so than anything, honestly, honestly, please direct message me on Instagram at be there in five, F-I-V-E, not the number. It is so helpful for me to hear what you like and get your feedback. And it helps me form the content going forward because half the time I think something's so boring and that's what people talk about the most. Or I think something's really funny and I realize no one else knows what it is but me. So, you know, it's, I, I, it's important for me to hear from you. And as I mentioned before, in the 1990,000 era, there were two parties, two very exclusive parties, of which I desperately wanted to be a guest invited to. And while Aaron Carter famously said, walking around the house like, who's the man? Ain't nobody do it like Aaron can. There was another group that did it like Aaron can. And I'd argue better because they were, I think, in Miami, so working at a hotel at a really depressing motel pool. And they still managed, still managed every single time to get down tonight. Despite not being a normal group size of perhaps, uh, you know, a trio of four or five, the, the, the typical boy or girl band sizes, they decided to both have a mixed gender band and to also have an incredibly awkward number of people. And that number would be seven. And their name would be S Club 7. Who, you might be thinking, who is in that group? Well, you've got Tina doing her dance, John looking for romance, Paul getting down on the floor, Hannah screaming out for more, she's my favorite, Baby Spice Vibes, 
you want to see Bradley swing. You want to see perhaps Rachel do her thing. Then you've got Joe. She's got the flow. Very flat, thin hair. She desperately always needed a root lift. Anyway, get ready, everybody, because here we go. I want you to leave this week being invited to the most exclusive party in town, the S-Club party. As always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. (laughs) 